Okay, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, mourning the loss of the official time signal. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if you're going to miss it, Adam, but uh, it's, it's probably my favorite CBC radio show. <laughs> the signal at the top of the hour. Years and years and years. A loyal I mean, friend at one o'clock. I, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, somebody came into a new job and was trying to make waves and is, is clearly illiterate about how the thing works and it, you know, cancels the one thing that makes it all worthwhile. It's, they fired the time signal, man. Who's next? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's like with the time this idiot bought a social media site and then slowly <laughs> stripped everything that was good about it. And, you know, lost after- billions in the process. <laughs> Some pe- some people are just don't deserve nice things. Anyway, <laughs> Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Kelly Stice, who is the liberal candidate for the eventual Kitchener Centre by-election. She's going to tell us why... Her work at the city of Kitchener makes her the ideal choice to be MPP and why the Liberals not having a leader is no problem. Uh, That is going to be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including the House Speakership. Not ours, the other one in the U.S. Uh, It looks like their choice is between someone accused of covering up sexual misconduct and the guy he said uh, the guy who said he was David Duke without the baggage. So good stuff. Um... But first, uh, we have to get very, very serious for the first part here, which is why we have a little bit of levity um, (laughs) here at the end of the first half. Mm -hmm. Um, Saturday, um, you probably woke up to the news that there was an all-out attack against the southern border between Israel and the Gaza Strip. Uh, There have been, at this point, as we're recording, well over 2,300 casualties, pretty much evenly split between Israeli uh, the Israeli side and the Gaza side. Um, as we're recording on Wednesday afternoon, there's some breaking news about this new um, emergency government that Netanyahu has formed, Benjamin Netanyahu, the current prime minister of Israel. It seems like he is leaning in to a lot of the right-wing uh, voices in his government or the more right-wing voices in his government. Uh, they said that this government will... Uh, this new coalition government is going to exist so long as there's still a war, and it is a war. Uh, Netanyahu has promised essentially retribution um, to varying degrees of somewhere between um, reoccupying this the Gaza Strip and leveling it. Um, what exactly that's going to look like is still to be determined, but uh, yeah, this is not a great situation. Um, a lot of people being hurt. Uh, uh, Honestly, a lot of that falling on civilians, and that's on both sides, Palestinian civilians and Israeli civilians, caught in the middle. Um, 150 150 people um, being held hostage by Palestinian militants or terrorists, if you like. I know there is some brouhaha about the language being used, and maybe we'll get into that. But I mean, just from a pure humanitarian standpoint, this is a cuck up and a half. Yeah, and a lot of mostly bad commentary about it. So mm-hmm. just off the top, I wanted to put forth a disclaimer that 
our opinions are ours and not those of the station. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that I'm going to say anything inflammatory or whatever, but just because of the times I'm saying that mm-hmm. simply because there's been a lot of people called out on social media who have certain opinions that are getting spun into possibility that they're anti-Semitic and it's going to that place mm-hmm. rather than dealing with the issues. Mm-hmm. We could get into that a little bit, I guess, but let's, first of all, let's, I guess, tackle everything else that's going on and it's a massive problem, long running issue. Uh, and off the top, it's like, as you said about the civilians being killed, I mean, that's what disgusts me and most people the most is that you do, and you mentioned it, that both sides are responsible for killing civilians and killing mm-hmm. children. There's been a lot of weight put on this the Hamas killing babies. I keep hearing this baby killers, baby killers, which hasn't been confirmed. Which hasn't been confirmed, and that, that that's a bit of a fault in this as well, that when it's coming fast and furious from a war zone, what yeah. is essentially now a war zone. Well, and this is the thing, that there, there have been children that have been killed, obviously, but this whole thing about babies being beheaded, which seemed yeah. to like go around the internet like wildfire, yeah. um, seemed to come from one IDF soldier saying this to a reporter with I-24 News, and then it go, you know, it goes to the New York Post, and it goes to Fox News, and it goes to a Robin Urbeck column here in the National right Post. Yep. Yeah, and with with it, and then you know, there was it was a Turkish outlet that went to um, the IDF and said, "Hey, you know, uh, decapitated babies, uh, yay or nay?" And you know, they didn't have a comment. Although since since this morning, uh, the I think it was a spokesperson for the PM also said it happened but i mean that's it, there's still been no official say it's worth noting hamas has come out and said they hadn't i mean take it for what it's worth but hamas has said they're not decapitating babies so but they did kill a lot of people they did kill a lot of people yeah and a lot of them were killed as in in an effort to lay siege to the operation too like this was not this was not like a willy-nilly like hey it's saturday let's blow something up this this had been in the works for a while yeah so most people aren't going to back an organization that kills hundreds, it's, it would seem hundreds of people at a rave in the desert mm-hmm. who are not part of the belligerents, who are not part of the military. But yeah, in terms of in terms of killing children, I mean, you, you don't have to scratch too far to find out how many have been Palestinian kids have been killed in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Now, I know a lot of people will say that that's a false equivalency, but if mm. we're looking at this right, what's happening right now, the bombing of gaza mm-hmm. probably back to leveling buildings as it as has happened in the past what was it called operation cast lead mm-hmm. so and then the chart will appear as to how many palestinians have died and been injured versus how many israelis have been hard killed and injured and it's just this grim score like some really bizarre sport where it just yeah. keeps going up I, the numbers this afternoon have just been advancing in totality, not just to this side and that side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not going, they're not going to fix anything by doing this. The Israelis are not going to, they, they might, it might make them feel good doing right. what they're doing. And they use the, the, they'll use the excuse like that building's got Hamas in it, this building, Hamas, Hamas. The most recent thing that I saw is the Red Crescent went in, were given permission to go into an area because Gaza is on lockdown. Mm-hmm. They are, they are, it's the, there was, there's been a long running blockade around the whole thing. It's been as, called, as, yeah, it's been called the world's biggest open air prison. 
which it pretty much is. Yeah. That's truth. There was like, well, they'd left one entrance open. Even yeah. that was closed. The Egyptians trying to get through with aid. They're like, no, that's not happening. Red Crescent <laughs> goes in to help people who have been bombed. They in turn get bombed. Mm-hmm. So if they, I, I heard, I think it was the Israeli ambassador to Canada this morning, the radio talking about using that whole precision weapons thing, like <laughs> harkens back almost to the Gulf War where it's like, no, we're just, we're, you know, we're strategically taking out targets. Mm-hmm. That in this situation, when you've just got that small area with two, what is it, two and a half million people in it, mm-hmm. it is impossible that there won't be collateral damage. Mm-hmm. And my saying that is not to say that it's it was right for Hamas to do what they were doing because everybody knows that that is not the case. Well, no, and, and Hamas is purposefully using Palestinian civilians as uh, as a human shield, and that's been sort of tradecraft for them for for decades. Like they hide in plain sight. So it so that you know if you want to get a Hamas base, you have to take out an apartment building. They they've done it on purpose. Yeah, and hostages too. Hostages too. Sure. Yeah. They, if they're and th- this kind of speaks to the whole where Israel has one of like and in, in terms of their size, act, active military, mm-hmm. they have one of the most uh, advanced, let's say, intelligence organizations in the world. Mossad are like. You know, well known, right? Mm-hmm. What happened? The Israelis That's, are asking yeah. this question. What What happened to them? And part of it is they are so distracted by the focus on the West Bank and East Jerusalem and the settlers that are in there, and the fact that people like Ben Gavir, the um, what is his title again? He's, he's not Minister of Defense, but. There's fringe people in this mm-hmm. government that have been given roles. They they were fringe for years, and they, they've advanced through the ranks to create the most right-wing Israeli government they've seen in the history of Israel. Too busy, too busy worrying about other stuff and trying to, you know, cause well, not trying to cause disruption, focusing all the resources up to the I guess we'll call it the north, north of Gaza, right? That they they let their guard down. And, Maybe and that does, that's what happened, right? This, this the speculation is that it's what happened because it's a it's a failure on their part, right? Yeah, and and there's been a lot of discussion about that. In fact, like the Israeli papers have been leaning pretty hard against Netanyahu and the government for not seeing this coming. Um, I, I think the reporting has been that you know they have the south, uh, the border entrances in, in the south have been sort of short staffed as they're sending more resources north. And this is why uh, Hamas chose the, the South to strike and, and chose this time to strike. And um, yeah, there's also been some like reporting that Egypt had some scuttlebutt that Hamas was planning something and tried to get in touch with the Israeli government. And there was no answer. I, th- you can, I think Netanyahu's spokesperson said that wasn't true. But I mean, it's it's clearly good enough information that uh it, the, the major israeli newspaper published it so it, yeah it's an intel it's an intelligence failure all around and it is it, it does seem also timed to all this talk about normalizing diplomatic relations between israel and saudi arabia that hamas wants to scuttle that because i mean the more arab countries that sign on to having normal relations with israel that makes it um, harder for for them to find support in other places, and uh, you know Hamas did what Hamas does, which is escalate the situation. And of course, Netanyahu's kind of playing into that by aligning soldiers along Gaza and 
threatening to mow it all down um, in retaliation for this. It, it, and a number of people like Jeet here from the nation has made the comparison like Israel setting itself up for like a overreaction akin to the Americans after 9-11, where it was just it was a retribution tour without anyone really kind of stopping and thinking about the repercussions. And it, it, like 9-11, um, anyone who takes a moment to say, stop, wait, what are we doing is kind of being pilloried for being soft on terror. Yeah, and there's lots of lazy defaults going on to particularly the direct comparison. This is our 9-11. It's like, mm -hmm. not, not really. It's not really. In the scheme of things, it's bad. It's terrible. It's not your 9-11. And the other one that I knew was going to snowball and has was the whole politicians everywhere doing it, particularly Canadian ones of all stripes, Israel mm -hmm. has a right to defend itself, right? Mm -hmm. That line. That line is just instant, immediate, Israel has a right to defend itself. Everybody has a right to defend themselves. Well, <laughs> yeah. Do, th do they have the right to bomb a, a place that they essentially right. occupy yeah. back to the Stone Age right? and take out civilians? I would, would say no. Like, Why not go after Hamas? And Similarly, why why wouldn't Hamas if Hamas saw an opening? Why wouldn't they just go after military targets? Right, and I mean, there's a lot of uh, sort of like politicking on this side. Like, how do you use this tragedy on the other side of the world to our personal political advantage? Like, we'll talk about the U.S. Republicans in a second, but Rona Romney McDaniel is you know going around talking about how this was a great opportunity for Republican politicians. This like slaughter of civilians in Israel is a great opportunity. Um, we saw that here, and this has been the windmill I've been tilting at all freaking week. This this statement that the White House put out after talking to the Quint, which is the US, UK, Germany, France, and Italy, countries that have nuclear weapons or have American nuclear weapons within their borders. Um this this group in particular had a meeting on Monday. And the White House releases a statement and you have people like going up like Justin Trudeau wasn't on this statement. They're, they're disrespecting Canada. He, uh, they don't take Justin Trudeau seriously. So like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because uh, people were attributing it to a G7 statement. It's like, well, was Japan on here? It turns out Japan media is kind of doing the same thing, which is I, I guess I ascribe better angels to the Japanese mm. people. But just like and it's Paul Iver, which I mean, he'll take any opportunity. Right. So I, I don't. I mean, in so much as like I blame him, I don't really blame him. It's his nature. But, you know, like people who should know better, Evan Solomon, who works yep. for a, a foreign affairs consultancy in New York, Michael Chong, the foreign affairs critic for the opposition. He should know better. Um, Andrew Coyne. I mean, Andrew Coyne's like a long running Ottawa commentator. Like I, like, I don't expect people to know what the Quint is, but I expect people not to jump up and down on Justin Trudeau because the opportunity, because he's standing under the trampoline. It's, you know, can we just take, you know, not everything is about <laughs> frog march about Justin you, Trudeau, right? Not yeah. everything's about Canada, too. And he, he would have been briefed, no doubt. Sure, sure. But again, Israel's a nuclear power that doesn't belong to that club. They've never admitted it, but everyone's pretty sure they've got the bomb. Right. So, again, it's like how much... Canada would definitely be briefed, for sure. Any Anybody within the sphere, let's just say NATO, for lack of a better... Yeah. Within the NATO realm, within the Western realm, those yeah. that need to know Australia, those that need to know will know, for sure. Yeah. 
if if Polyev signed the the secrecy forms, he would probably be able to find out what the heck was going on as well. But he won't, so that's not going to happen. And I don't. This is the problem with this commentary. I don't actually care what Polyev has to say. I, I, I there's a lot of actually majority of people. It's the shoot from the hip stuff where yeah. you feel you have to put something. This is our the age we live in now, where mm. you have to put something on social media immediately to mm. let everybody know your opinion, whatever it is. Even it, and a lot of times there's no nuance there. Yeah, I just want to say this: that it's it's entirely possible to support Palestinian people without coming out and saying this is a great thing Hamas has done. And it was actually Naomi Klein in the in the Guardian. I encourage anybody to read it mm. if you're looking for nuance, talking about how surprised she was that a lot of people on the left seem to be supporting Hamas. Mm. And she put it: it's like. You need to put kids, you need to put children over the guns, no matter like whose child it is or whose gun it is, that that's the priority. But it's not even just like an inability to present nuance, but it's also an inability to recognize nuance as well. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the the outrage over, you know, Sarah Jama's statement where it's like, she yeah, she talks about apartheid. It's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe now's not the time. But, you know, at the same time, in, in her statement, it's like, I'm calling for a ceasefire. I want everyone to put down their guns. This isn't the way to solve problems by shooting at each other and blowing people up and taking hostages and like ro- launching rockets. I'm, I'm paraphrasing her statement, of course, but like everybody's dunking on her today. And Merritt Stiles is nowhere to be seen um, well, standing yeah. up for her member. It's yeah, because well, Merritt Stiles came out and said almost the same thing. It's like cease- yeah. asking for a ceasefire, but because Sarah Jama put it through a lens of like, daring to mention the oppression that's going on in gaza and the west bank and east jerusalem which is a very real thing and can't be just wiped away by this for sure because she took that approach it's not even taking aside that approach like pointing out things that are fact that's Mm -hmm. you and then i saw it it was tweet from ford or whoever the you know oh Mm -hmm. she's she has an anti-semitic reputation they're doing the same thing with the uh um the <laughs> I should know this off the top of my head. The gang, the in uh, in the states, the squad. Oh yeah, with Rashida Tlaib. Yeah, <laughs> the squad. Yeah. The squad are getting the same treatment, right? They're like, yeah, Rashida One's Tlaib. Palestinian origin. You come out and say something. And it's like you're anti-Semitic. Well, yeah, you Rashida hate Israel. It's like <laughs> Rashida. Not... Rashida Tlaib has a Palestinian flag in front of her office. She's Palestinian in terms of ethnicity. So, and and but there's a lot of this, like all these, like marches of like people who are like think about the palestinian civilians uh think about like the people being hurt whether they're you know jewish whether they're palestinian and people bring their palestinian flags and people are think it's it's a hamas flag and it's not hamas flag it's the flag of the palestinian people yeah yeah true 26 percent of people voted for hamas in forced elections 17 years ago by the way for people who don't know the population of Gaza, over 50% of it is 18, so nobody, almost nobody who currently lives in Gaza voted for Hamas in that election. So, you know, let's try and understand these places before we open our mouth and let our belly rumble, as my father might have said. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> also, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you saw former adult film actress Mia Khalifa like, post, like chimed in about this, and apparently was so was so ill received that she's been fired from everything and it's like why are we beating up on the porn actress about international affairs i don't know but yeah we need to calm down and think about the real victims of this for sure 
Mm-hmm. I didn't um, see that, but surprisingly, <laughs> well, you might how social media works. You you think she'd be trending? It's like Israel was trending, but also the misspelling of Israel was trending. Oh, for like, sure. That's where we're at with this, right? Yeah. Israel. So a, bef- a before e. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to treat this one briefly, but in the United States right now, there is political upheaval of a different sort. Uh, Kevin McCarthy was voted out of office um, or out of the speakership. I should say he still has his, uh, his district that he is uh, currently serving in, but this because he had the gall to um, bring a resolution forward to keep the government open for another 40 days or so. Um, Eight, Pretty much eight people did not vote or, or voted against keeping him in eight Republicans, I should say, voted against keeping him as a speaker, which has sparked this uh, new race to be speaker. Uh, the Republicans met on Wednesday afternoon, and out of that, they chose to endorse Steve Scalise, um, the man who once said he was David Duke without a bag, without the baggage at a white nationalist conference. Oh. Um and so that was after um, his only other rival, I guess, Jim Jordan was defeated. Jim Jordan, of course, is rather famous for um, being accused of uh, looking the other way at Ohio State University, where several wrestlers were the subject of sexual harassment and um, sexual abuse. So that's who uh, might be the you know, it might be Steve Scalise, but um, I guess the question now is how many rounds of voting will it take to make Steve Scalise the new speaker? I guess we'll see. Yeah, all bad choices. It may it may be sorted <laughs> out by the time this airs, although I doubt it very much. I'd be very surprised. And it looks I don't not I wouldn't say outright that Trump's influence is waning, but he did endorse Jim Jordan, right? He did. It was something like good people, very nice people, like they're all all good people. Because it's it's not as if Scalise is anti-trump by any means like they're they're both they're both pretty sweet with him let's say yeah. and so is actually matt gates who who engineered this whole thing yep i don't know if they ex- expected the democrats to not go for like mm. why why would you not unseat this guy who's uh, kevin uh mccarthy's done no favors for him right <laughs> so it's like my kevin gone my pillow gone my gym gone so I, I, I wouldn't i it's, it would probably wouldn't be right to say that trump's influence is waning but it used to be as because well mccarthy was his pick too right so it's not my sure. like said so it's not as if um i don't think it's it might be waning a little bit so i it's this is what and they have to they have to get it sorted out because things are things are paused right now they're on a recess mm-hmm. I, I didn't know anything about patrick mchenry who's sort of the the <laughs> The, the caretaker speaker who just kind of suspended things, but, but it was like, all I saw was like, he's known for his bow ties. I'm like, <laughs> maybe that's not so bad. You know, maybe that's the person you want, but I mean, I would say there's not a great record about Republicans and bow ties. Um, no. if you keep, <laughs> keep in mind the original uniform of Tucker Carlson. I'm always uh, suspicious <laughs> of the bow tie. <laughs> I mean, unless you're in a telephone box, I would leave the bow tie alone. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this is, I mean, it, there's, it would be more fascinating and more interesting to get into if it wasn't like a whole war situation going on. Um, but I mean, it is sort of part and parcel that there are people around the world who are looking at this dysfunction and going like, what the hell is wrong with the United States that the Speaker of the House um, works across party lines to keep the government open and he's out of a job? Because I mean, that's what it was. And 
this is the thing about Kevin is, is is the levels of betrayal was like he breaches a deal with Joe Biden, throws it out the window when people get angry at him. He capitulates to like all these people who like want Joe Biden to be impeached. They can't figure out a reason why. But he's like, sure, let's have a impeachment, an impeachment inquiry. We'll figure it out later. And then he brings uh, a, a continuing resolution that has cuts to services and a bunch more money for border security in an effort to please the far right flank. They still throw it out the door. They can't even vote for the defense uh, appropriations budget. He can't even get a, a vote for that. He can't get a vote for any of these appropriations budgets. So he does the last thing he can do, which is a clean resolution, which basically leaves everything status quo. And then he goes on TV that literally the next day he goes on TV and goes, you know why this all this all this got cucked up? The Democrats. And it's like you, after that, you really expect the 212 <laughs> people in the Democratic Party to say, yeah, let's have my Kevin back. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so 212 people and eight rebels means you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, it's 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 like the minor. It's it's the perfect picture of the minoritarian rule that's like has so inflicted this government. It's it's kind of appalling. And first time in history too, right? This is sure, yeah, never happened before. But there's lots unprecedented has happened in let's call it the Trump era because even though he's not president, it's still kind of the Trump era as far as Republicans are concerned. Right, and, and to, to your point about you know the waning influence of Trump, I'm not sure if this is a mark against Trump so much as it as a, a mark in favor of like good taste because Jim Jordan doesn't have a lot of friends in the Republican Party, and it was a secret ballot behind closed doors, so it's like you know in terms of choosing Scalise over Jordan to put forward as Speaker, so it's it, it was pretty easy if you someone who hate Jim hates Jim Jordan to vote against him and then go no Jim I wasn't one of the no votes I want to be Speaker man. Not hard to vote against Jim Jordan. Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> Although, what was it? One thirteen to ninety nine. It wasn't exactly a. It wasn't. You know, yeah. Yeah. A complete victory. We're gonna take a quick break and come back with our interview with Kelly Stice. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU ninety three point three FM, CFRU CA Guelph Campus and Community Radio. <laughs> That was a well-known dual Palestinian-Israeli artist named Bashar Murad. He's been called uh, the East Jerusalem's Lady Gaga. I don't know if you got that from that song. Maybe a little bit. The album's called Makshara. <laughs> it was also featuring uh, Tamar Nafar, who is in the same situation politically in terms of where his citizenship is. And they both speak truth to all the powers. And mm. that song was called Antenne. Mm -hmm. Lady Gaga of the... <laughs> Middle East, yeah. or that's. Uh... I guess he was like a cover artist. He, he like started off by oh, covering sure. Lady Gaga. So, well, I mean, game, rec somewhere. game recognizes game. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, speaking of game, um, there is going to be a by-election at some point 
in Kitchener Center. Laura May Lindo, the former NDP member, had vacated that seat at the beginning of the summer. Um, there have been several candidates that have come forward. We've had uh, two of them on the show so far. We've had Ashlyn Clancy, who is the Green Party candidate. We've had Debbie Chapman, who's the NDP candidate. And today we have Kelly Stice, who is the liberal candidate. Um, like our uh, our two previous guests from Kitchener Center, she uh, she's an employee of the city of Kitchener. Um, she's not a counselor like the other two, but uh, they both they all work together at City Hall, which uh, must be interesting. Uh, we talk a bit about that. We're also going to talk about uh, how Kelly's uh, experience um, working at uh, or managing uh, a couple of the city of Kitchener's uh, community centers is feeding into her insights and her desire to make life better for people in Kitchener, especially on the housing and affordability fronts. And we're also going to talk about uh, the leaderless liberals and why that doesn't seem to be a problem for her candidacy, which uh, interesting take. Um so we're going to get to all the interesting takes from Kelly Stice, uh, who we chatted with uh, earlier this week. So I'm going to hit uh, hit play on that interview starting now. Okay, Kelly Stice, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks, Adam, for having me on. Uh, first of all, for people who may not know, you are uh, the liberal candidate for Kitchener Center in the by-election, whatever it's called. But, um, you know, for when you're knocking on doors or introducing yourself... You know, who is Kelly Stice? Why is she running for office? So I am uh, running for office because I care about the future of Kitchener Center. And I want to make sure that the voice of Kitchener Center is uh, heard at Queen's Park. And uh, what got me there and, and what I bring to the team or or the uh, because I knew this as a team, but what I, I bring is I've worked for the city of Kitchener for over 21 years. And um, when I started 21 years ago, my job was to make sure that persons with disabilities had access to municipal programs and services. Um, I did a little bit of work with the AODA, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. So I had uh, some experience with some policy writing. And uh, now I work within our community center section and uh, oversee the city of Kitchener has at, at uh, right now 14 community centers, so a little bit of a different model than most municipalities. And so I oversee three of those. And uh, what I've always seen as my job is to um, work with the community, to listen to the community, and to make sure that um, our community centers offer uh, programs and services that meet the needs of the neighborhoods that we're in. And um, and it goes beyond just, you know, registering for ballet crap classes and karate classes. And, and, and those are great things to register for. But our centers always, off, um, always they also offer, um, you know, in partnership with other organizations, things like food distribution, mm. uh, access to job and employment supports, access to their Ontario works worker and, you know, in the neighborhoods that they live in. And, and there's certainly a lot of value in being able to access the resources you need in a really localized way. And I'm really proud of the work that I've been able to do uh, to create those hubs in our, our neighborhoods and, um, and, and help, you know, again, how, how do we make things just a little bit better for people? And you also ran in the 2022 election. I have that right. Correct. I was the uh, candidate in our general election and uh, worked with the party 
and to uh, be able to uh, be, stay on as the candidate for, for this election. I'm curious then, um, what lessons did you take from the previous race that you're sort of bringing to this race? You've you've run on a on a provincial ticket before, uh, as opposed to the the other presently declared candidates who this is their first time. Is or, or, do you have an advantage? Maybe I, I would think so. Um, one of the advantages I, I have is that uh, my entire team stayed with me. And uh, while some of them, you know, have had life changes, you know, changes in jobs and, and their availability might be a little different. I still have the energy and enthusiasm of um, my team. And then we're welcoming open arms, all kinds of people uh, from across the province to to help uh, win this seat. And and uh, and so we've got a machine that's uh, well experienced, you know, it's not long since we came off the last election. And so we feel like we're just picking up where we left off. Um, you know, we're, we're getting volunteers out there uh, canvassing and phone banking and doing all the things that we need to do to let people know that there's an election um, and to know that I'm, I'm back. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we, uh, yeah, it's, so that's, that's the fun of it, right? We, it feels like, you know, we're just, we're back together. I'm wondering how the atmosphere at Kitchener City Hall is these days with you as a staff member running and two of your bosses, uh, Ashlyn <laughs> Clancy and Debbie Chapman, running for different parties. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I've, I've known Debbie for, for quite a while. One of the neighborhoods that I, I support, uh, she she um, was the uh, Neighborhood Association president for a while. And uh, certainly when I've met both um, in kind of the the campaign. I, I feel this is a campaign at this point um, out of writ. Um, it's been very, very friendly. And, you know, um, and that's what I want politics to be. It, it doesn't have to be so adversarial and that we're, you know, at each other's throats, but it's, you know, we all offer something different. Um, and, and, and so it's been congenial and uh, supportive. Um, and I, I look forward to that uh, continuing through this race. I will note that all three of you were at Bigaman's when when Ford Fest was held there, and all three of you um, spoke. I feel like, and I don't have any evidence to back this up, but I feel like Bigaman's was sort of, uh, uh, I, I guess, maybe a landmark on the path to having the the Greenbelt decision revoked. Like, just there was like just the overwhelming response of people standing in front of that event. Uh, do, do you sort of feel the same that you know Kitchener and the people of Kitchener had a pretty big role in you know maybe convincing the premier that he was on the wrong track? I think so. I mean, as you, if you, I think you were, you said you were there, Adam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, huge numbers out, and people were really passionate, um, you know, about what was what has been happening, and I see this not only as um, you know what he's done to the green belt, but in his apology. He taught. He talked about being sorry for the process moving too quickly, mm. and I think some people just hear always sorry for the green belt. But I, I really picked up on the words that he used because um, I know that uh, words are carefully crafted, and so being sorry for how quickly the process moved along um, really kind of made me very concerned around. If you're sorry about the process, and that's exactly what I'm concerned about is the process that he used. Uh, I'm uh, equally concerned that, you know, he would think that removing 
areas of the green belt would help, you know, with our housing challenge. Um, but if this is the process he uses in this instance, how, and, and what I see it as is this bulldozer process that uh, <laughs> the ends justify the means. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter what I did to get there. Look, and I've got housing for you and, and, and you should be so grateful. And uh, I, 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 I'm quite frustrated by that because then I need, I need to look at it in, under a microscope around what other processes are you employing? Are you employing that same process to other areas um, and that we haven't quite seen yet? Because um, now, of course, big news yesterday, the RCMP is now undertaking a criminal investigation. And goodness, is that really what we want to say? And, and I can't imagine that he wants that as, as his legacy, uh, mm. you know, as he leaves Queen's Park, which I see him doing in 2026. Hmm. Bold prediction. <laughs> um, bulldozer process is an interesting double entendre, too. Um, <laughs> but, you know, speaking of that RCMP investigation, I mean, what I one of the things I get concerned about is, you know, the the investigations and the I, I know RMPP Mike Schreiner's called for a public inquiry into it, um, you know, getting so bogged down into like this one particular scandal and the impact that it might have on, you know, those solutions. I mean, you're, you're right about the ends, not justifying the means, but you know, there is a, a housing crisis. And I wonder if we're now at a point where maybe the politics of the, of trying to create more housing might be overrunning the effort to actually create more housing. And it, and it could be, I think that he hasn't looked though at where there's opportunities for housing. And are we really looking at opportunities for infill? Are we looking at ways to create housing that has um, a, a minimum impact on our environment, right? We we need to look at how do we create, um, you know, these idealized 15 minute communities uh, mm. where people can access the resources, where they can get on transportation uh, and get to to where they need to go. Um, might they be able to walk there or bike there? Like I think there's there's some things lost. I think also building these mega homes, which um, we were you know seeing as as part of the solution in in the um, in this access of the green belt. I mean, how much space does somebody need? Right? Like, right. Do, do you do you really need that much? Or in this time of crisis? you know, or is a modest home suitable for the average family? And and I think those are the things that we need to really kind of step back and say, okay, what, what do we need at this point? Because Adam, I see it every day in the work that I do. Mm. Uh, I see people lining up for access to food. Those lines are growing. Um, some days people don't get access to food. And while it's not meant to meet all of their food needs, it's, it's, for me, an indication of the shortage and the challenge we have in our neighborhoods. And and I hear from families that, you know, we need to choose what meal we're eating today. And mm. my goodness, that I've never heard that before. And, and that causes me a lot of concern. And what are we doing um, actively to address those issues? I And I know there's been lots of investments in our food bank. Waterloo Region has a fabulous uh, food bank. 
that brings together a lot of partners, but they're also seeing that. And um, and I think we need to, to be a little bit more active in addressing things like that. Um, addressing people's access to a basic um, income in terms of, you know, people on ODSP and OW, yeah. um, they're not seeing increases yet. Rent has gone through the roof. Um, I've been at people's doors where they said, Kelly, you know what? Because always I say, well, I'll be back when the election's called. <laughs> and they said, well, you know what? I might not be here because it looks like I'm going to be homeless. I can't afford this place anymore. Right. And and that breaks my heart because we should be able to, you know, when you work um, or if you're if you're on assistance, you should be able to afford a place to live. I mean, that's going back to to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, and isn't that what our government is there to do is to make sure that you have the basics and that you can afford to um, access the basics uh, to be able to live. But it's a reminder too, that, you know, the focus has been on trying to get private development going and trying to, you know, uh, streamline municipal processes to get private yeah. development going. Um, there is a whole piece of this that's missing. And I know that at Waterloo region, in the summer, they're talking about a uh, big property tax increase for the coming year. I, you know, you hear the rumblings from other municipalities. There's an article in Wellington Advertiser about Wellington County the other day and uh, about a big potential big t- property tax increase there, too. Um, but a lot of this is sort of one of the reasons why the taxes are going up is a lot of the response to the affordability crisis is falling on municipalities and because there's no provincial response. Exactly. And and I and I think that we've lost an opportunity to work with municipalities to say, you know, how is this this going to work? And and taking away development charges, those are the charges, uh, those are some of the revenue that municipalities use to build some of their infrastructure. And when we strap municipalities from being able to do so, um, that has huge impacts all over the place. When a municipality can't easily build and sustain a park, how does that impact our mental health? Yesterday was World Mental Health Day. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was listening to um, someone who works for, for Canadian Mental Health Association, CMHA, and um, really talked about um, the important role municipalities play in mental health. And one of them is being able to have places to go, um, to walk in parks, to be able to have access to green space, to, you know, clear your mind or get out and meet someone, you know, if we're, if, and, and so when we strap our municipalities, when we don't work with them in a, a partnership way, um, I, I think we, we lose some opportunities. Our municipalities are smart because they have counselors and mayors who, hear from people right on the ground um, because they're out in their communities every single day. And um, when, you know, when municipalities are underserved by their provincial government, we know it as as soon as we wake up, if uh, if we don't have access to clean water or let's say our water's not running, well, Mm. you know, that's our municipality, but that relies on our provincial government to be effective and efficient in how it supports municipalities to work to do the work that they do, and and I think sometimes our provincial government um, needs to find ways to make that easier for municipalities to do so, as opposed to 
uh, creating all of these barriers and and taking away access to funding is is one of those. Um, and and that that makes me concerned because I don't know that Premier Ford tends to have the same experience with community the way our municipalities do. Yeah, and I mean, famously, Doug Ford was a municipal councillor for a term um, before wanting out and going back to the private sector. Um, I, I, I'm going to combine a couple of things, you know, because one of the things I was hoping might have come out of having a municipal election, a provincial election back to back last year was like talking about a new deal for cities. That's always my dream. It never comes true. But along with that, though, um, it does feel like this election every election these days is coming down about like affordability and housing, but is there room to try and talk about other things in, in this coming by-election, like maybe, you know, new funding for cities, new uh, like a new, new formulas to help support cities and municipalities, or is it just about like the response to the housing crisis? I think we have to move away from just always being reactive and responsive. And, and to your point, Adam, like, how can we be proactive? Uh, we we know, um, you know, that, for example, in, in Waterloo Region, we know that the po- population is growing. Is our healthcare infrastructure keeping up, uh, keeping pace with the growth of our region? And, and I don't think so. And, and we know that. And so how can we forecast um, some growth and development? How can we make sure that this government maintains its commitment to Waterloo Region uh, to expand our healthcare infrastructure. And for me, that's more than just, you know, building a hospital, which is a really great step. We need, you know, access to more beds. Um, but wouldn't this be an, an amazing opportunity to look at doing things a little bit differently, uh, a little bit more efficiently? Can we take some lessons um, from the pandemic around access to um, kind of uh, virtual care, which um, I, I took advantage of over, over the pandemic. And I was like, wow, this, you know, I think it it created some efficiencies in my life, which I appreciated. Um, and I, I hope it, it created the same with my physician. Um, but just some examples. And, and we have also in Waterloo Region, a health innovation hub uh, happening where, you know, how can we mobilize creative minds to say, okay, uh, where are the efficiencies? How can we uh, better serve the community in making sure that they have access to health care in a way that's meaningful. Um, in Waterloo Region, 55% of people do not have access to a primary health physician. Mm. Now, I'm not sure if that's a today's stat. That was a stat that I got, I think it was um, maybe about a year ago, but it stuck with me. It's, it, you know, it's probably different because I haven't seen any investment to make that better at this point. Yeah. And, and the thought of that, the thought of, having to manage perhaps a complex care, uh, a complex health issue, um, you know, how does one do that? It's, you know, especially when you're struggling through illness, it's um, it, it, it's concerning to me. And uh, I think the solutions are out there. We just need to, to free people up. And um, I'm particularly proud that uh, uh, one of our MPPs is Dr. Adil Shamji, who, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has come out with the, with um, the patients, not profits um, approach, but uh, he's, he's smart and he has lots of other ideas. And, and I, you know, he and I've been chatting and it's like, okay, what, what, where else can we grow and develop? Um, and I really look forward to uh, seeing what, what, where else he can help lead, um, lead our party. It, yeah. Dr. Shamji's a friend of the show. 
Uh, he's been on before, uh, but it, it is a reminder. He was uh, in the leadership race for the Ontario Liberals. He has since thrown his support behind Bonnie Crombie, but it's a reminder that uh, your party is, uh, to use a Halloween metaphor, headless at the moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, is, is does that have an impact on you? Like sort of, yeah, I like you, Kelly, but you know, who, if I support you, who's going to be the leader? Is, is that a factor? I don't think so. And I think it, um, this election really, it's not going to change anything at Queen's Park, quite mm. honestly, you know, um, whatever the result, it doesn't, I mean, at the doors, people want me to unseat Doug Ford. And I'm like, well, I, that's not in my cards. Um, but I think the, the vote this election is, um, who, who wants to be your, who do you want to be your representative? Um, and I've seen Waterloo Region, I've seen Kitchener Centre vote very much in that way. It's it's a people first uh, approach, and um, and that's kind of where where I talk to people. I I talk about my um, experience. I talk about my passion for um, serving the community. I've been a public servant for 21 years, and before that, I worked in the nonprofit sector, um, and um, and and that's kind of always been the way I've approached. Everything is how can, you know, no, I can't save the world, but how can I just make it that much better? Um, you know, what's my contribution to that outcome? Uh, refresh my memory. I don't have a constant ear on Kitchener area politics. Is there a progressive conservative candidate yet? There is not. I mean, okay. there's, of course, lots of rumblings, on, but, you know, you never know where the where that started. Um and 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 how uh, true that is. We we just keep waiting. Uh, to, so elections will be called on a Wednesday. So we're we're just have our ear to the ground. Is today the day? Yeah, rumblings uh, don't open campaign offices, but um, <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> maybe to wrap up, uh, you know, you, you talked about you know collegiality and between you and and uh, Debbie Chapman and Ashlyn Clancy and talking about you know. Does this election really change things? Well, you know, I look at the the field and I look at, you know, you elect Debbie Chapman, you keep that seat NDP that augments the 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 official opposition. You elect Ashlyn Clancy. Uh, I mean, there's one Green MPP. I should know he represents this area. Um, but you know, having two Green MPPs is certainly sending a message too. What's the message in sending Kelly Stice to? Uh, to Queen's Park and I mean you, having another liberal MPP there gets like a little bit closer to official party status but not quite there but otherwise what's the message just to send Kelly Stice to Queen's Park well you know what I, I think you've, you've referenced that you know the party is is headless at this point I think the liberal party has uh, been sent a message twice I don't know that we really uh appreciated the message that the electorate sent us the first time. Um, and so they reminded us a second time that, uh, you know what, we need to do things and we need to change. Um, and so we have an amazing uh, leadership race ahead of us. And I look at that, that we, you know, five and now four, but we had five people interested in leading our party. And how exciting is, is that, that, you know, and I will contrast that, that uh, the NDP acclaimed their leader. And I, and I thought mm -hmm. at the time, no one is interested in, in helping to lead your party. And, and the, the biggest and the best position of all right, that, you know, um, 
that there's there's that opportunity and and we have extremely smart and um intelligent people around that table of, of leaders um and and there's opportunity ahead um and you know each of those four leaders look to uh the next election and um we, we need a change. And I, and I think that, um, yes, I would be number 10 um, <laughs> electing me in. I am number 10 uh, in terms of MPPs. Uh, we need 12 for official party status, as you, as you mentioned. Um, so we're getting that much closer. Um, but I go back to, to my record on serving the community. And I think that that's um, what our, you know, Kitchener Centre needs at this point is a strong um, leader uh, with experience and and with kind of a, a value set that talks about inclusivity, that talks about making sure that we are um, meeting the needs of of people where they're at now, which mm-hmm. is access to to food, access to affordable housing, um, and uh, you know certainly access to to healthcare and and those we really need to champion and uh, make sure don't get lost. Um, in kind of what the next couple of years look like, because, um, you know, if, if yesterday with the RCMP investigation is any indication, um, Premier Ford's going to be scrambling. And I can't imagine that uh, he, the, as I said before, this is what he wants his legacy to be. Um, mm. Because he, you know, at the, when he when he ran, he talked about being for the people. And, and I saw, you know, he probably was authentic in that, but he certainly hasn't delivered. And right. so as we move the next few years, I want to make sure we're not scrambling um, and losing access to services. So we really need that strong voice that can work uh, well at Queen's Park. Well, we're just waiting for the day. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Kelly Stice, thank you so much for joining me today. Adam, and thank you. Uh, keep up the good work, uh, getting, uh, po- you know, politics on our mind and, and in our thoughts. So uh, thank you so much. Okay. Once again, that was Kelly Stice. Uh, we, if you hadn't gathered it from the interview, there's still no date for that election. Although I was talking to somebody about it. Um, it's likely that uh, the, the seat Monty McNaughton vacated um, that D- Doug Ford will call both of those elections at the same time. And I think he has to call it by the end of the year for Kitchener center. So uh, stay It'll tuned. It'll be last minute, right? Whatever he does. Uh, I guarantee guaranteed to be last minute i guarantee you with this week's news uh he's probably not thinking about by elections at the moment <laughs> um but yep. more on that next week maybe um as for this show that's it for this week's show we hope you liked it you can stay connected to us and listen to this show again by downloading it via our website every monday at opensourcesguelph.com you can get it from the guelph politicast channel on podbean or through your favorite podcast app like apple google TuneIn, and spotify you can also stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. I'll be back here on CFRU Wednesday at 3 p.m. for the movie review show I co-host called End Credits. And I'm also still on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. And you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Twitter X, and Blue Sky. And if you're joining us at our regular time on a Thursday, please stay tuned for the fantastic Turtle Island Underground. And you can hear great programs just like that one and many, many more here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for this show, we will be back here next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then.